0: Welcome to The Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kahnema
1: and Dr. Jacinta Hayes. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies.
0: Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make.
1: Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies.
0: Welcome to episode 31.
1: Happy New Year, everyone.
0: Yeah, Happy New Year. We are once again recording over Zoom. We are socially distanced and (laughs) confined pretty much to our homes. Yep. So uh, apologies for any sound issues or slight delays
1: in <laughs> Jacinta
0: and I talking over each other.
1: Yes, we've got a fancy new setup now where I've got a home recording USB microphone set up. Thanks, mom. It was my Christmas present. Uh, and Dan has our usual recorder in his house.
0: Well, if you're listening to it, then it's worked. Yeah. All right. So 2021, from an astronomical point of view,
1: There's a a new rover landing on Mars this year, right?
0: Yeah, the Perseverance rover will be landing this year, which is always exciting. Uh, We spoke about it a a little bit last year. That's super cool. They're a, a, a few months away, I think. The launch of the James Webb Space Telescope should finally be happening this year, although...
1: Oh, can't wait. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's gone through <laughs> numerous delays over the years, so we'll see. That'll be very, very exciting and very, very stressful, mm-hmm. launching something <laughs> like this. <laughs> I'll be watching watching that launch with bated breath. In terms of celestial events observable from Earth, there's nothing major... There's a small eclipse visible from Cape Town, the 4th of December.
1: Lunar or solar?
0: Uh, Solar, small solar eclipse. But it's a very small percentage visible just from from Cape Town, not the rest of South Africa. And actually, it's centered over Antarctica, which is quite exciting.
1: Oh, cool.
0: If you can manage to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we'll get a couple of good photos out of that one. So, yeah, I guess we should get going with today's episode. Yes. And what do we have in store today?
1: Who are we interviewing today? <laughs>
0: well, it's the moment you've all been waiting for and I've been waiting for for some time. Jacinta's long-awaited paper <laughs> is finally out. Yeah. So, we can talk about it. I guess there's a an embargo until today, until it comes out, and you can tell us all about it. So, Jacinta? Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah.
1: <laughs> no, you meant to call me Dr. Delhayes, remember? Because I'm the guest.
0: All <laughs> oh, right. okay.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Wait, uh, let me do it.
0: The esteemed Dr. Jacinta Delhayes. <laughs> welcome to the Cosmic Savannah.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, well, hi. Nice to be here. I'm actually quite nervous. I guess this is what it feels like to be a guest <laughs> on our show.
0: <laughs> Just relax. It's a conversation. That's what we tell our guests, right?
1: All right. Chilling. Whew. Well, I guess, well, you have to ask the questions, don't you? Yeah,
0: I have to ask the questions this time. Let's get into it. Your paper, you have discovered, well, you and your team have discovered two giant radio galaxies uh, using the Meerkat telescope. And these galaxies are amongst the largest single objects in the universe and obviously quite rare. Before we get into the discovery and, and what exactly it all means... I think we should do a sort of introduction to radio astronomy. Talk a little bit about what it is and how it differs from optical astronomy. What exactly are we looking at and how are we doing it?
1: Sure. Okay. So astronomy uses the whole electromagnetic spectrum. Some telescopes can detect optical light, which is the same light as we can see with our eyes. So they're just basically huge eyes. But then we can also have different telescopes that can see ultraviolet light, infrared, the whole range of wavelengths down to the lowest frequencies or the longest wavelengths, which are the radio. And radio telescopes kind of look like big satellite dishes There are several around the world and a new one in South Africa is called Meerkat, that's in the Karoo, and it comprises of 64 individual dishes and combined together, it's called an interferometer, which is pretty much one of the best in the world, if not the best at what it does. This is a pretty new telescope, it was launched, what, June 2018? That's correct. And since it's starting to make some pretty cool discoveries, including this one that we've made.
0: Yeah. So we're basically looking at radio waves that are coming in. As you said, Meerkat's a 64-dish array. And the reason we do an array is because in order to detect these very long wavelengths, we'd ideally like to have a huge a square kilometer big dish, but that's kind of unfeasible. So instead, we build these arrays and then combine the signals to simulate a much bigger telescope. Yes. That's interferometry.
1: <laughs> well, that's getting towards the SKA, which MeerKAT is the precursor of, but yes, that's what we're heading towards.
0: But yeah. I don't know what the combined collecting area of MeerKAT is, but it's pretty big, 64 dishes which are each kind of 13 meters big. Mm-hmm. You you've spoken a little bit about MeerKAT, uh, launched in in 2018. What makes Meerkat so special? Why is it so powerful? And what are the technological advancements which we've seen from Meerkat?
1: The one thing about Meerkat uh, in particular is that it's very, very sensitive. So it can pick up very, very faint light or light from very large distances. And this is because what we call the receivers the part that receive the light, the radio waves. These are cryogenically cooled and they perform even better than they were designed for. So this thing is really, really sensitive. The other really good thing about Meerkat is that because there are so many of these individual dishes, 64 of them, we can spread them out some close together, some really far apart, and the greater the number of different distances between telescopes, the more completely you can see the sky. So if you have telescopes that are closer together, if you have dishes that are closer together, you're going to be able to see things on the sky that are much larger scale. And if you have telescopes that are further apart, you're going to be able to see things on a smaller scale. And so, because we have this whole range, we can see small features in the emission from the galaxies or from whatever we're looking at, and we can see large features. And the way this has helped to make the discovery that we've published today is that this makes the Meerkat telescope really sensitive to what we call diffuse emission. This is kind of like large-scale fuzzy stuff that's very, very faint and distributed over a large patch of sky.
0: Okay, so you you mentioned your discovery. Let's get into it. You've discovered two giant radio galaxies. Firstly, what is a radio galaxy and how does it sort of differ from a Regular galaxy.
1: (laughs) Okay, so galaxies, as we know, are big collections of stars and gas and dust and dark matter and such. And you might have a what we call a normal galaxy or a star-forming galaxy, which is just chilling out and it's forming stars and converting its gas into stars and those stars go supernova and then etc. But some galaxies are called active galactic nuclei. Most galaxies have a supermassive black hole in their centre and this black hole becomes active when you have stuff falling into the black hole, so whether that be gas or dust coming from the galaxy or coming from the intergalactic medium, which is the stuff between galaxies. So this is trickling in into the black hole and it's heating up a lot as it does so. Then we call this black hole active. We, We call this whole galaxy an AGN, an active galactic nucleus. This activity is emitting a huge amount of very high energy light. It can be emitted across the entire electromagnetic spectrum, all the way from the gamma rays down to the radio. And when you have a lot of radio emission coming from this region, it's called a radio galaxy. And often this is in the form of two kind of beams coming usually above and below the plane of the galaxy itself. And we call these jets there are relativistic particles. These are highly charged particles like electrons, which are traveling close to the speed of light and they are interacting with the magnetic field around the black hole. These are spiraling in the magnetic field and emitting what we call synchrotron radiation, which is uh, predominantly emitted in the radio, right? So we have these huge beams of radio emission coming from above and below the black hole in these huge jets. And this is what a radio galaxy is.
0: We really got you excited there, didn't we? <laughs> okay. It's, it's a lot to take in. So essentially, a radio galaxy's got this supermassive black hole at the center, which when it's feeding, essentially, taking in gas, sometimes excites that gas and pushes out large jets of high energy particles, which we can detect in the radio Wavelengths. Exactly. Okay. Got it. So what is a giant radio galaxy then?
1: These jets of light, which we'll put a picture on the on the website for this episode, these huge radio jets, we think that they grow. So they start out small and then as the galaxy ages, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, pushing further and further outwards from the galaxy. They can come in a whole range of sizes and the giant radio galaxies, these are ones that are bigger than 700 kiloparsecs. Which is around 22 times the size of our own galaxy, the Milky Way. So, these are really truly enormous systems. And these particular ones we call giant radio galaxies. They're actually fairly rare. We've found hundreds of thousands, even millions of radio galaxies of all different sizes. But only about 800 or so of them are classified as giants. So, relatively rare.
0: Are they giant in mass or just giant in size?
1: Giant in size, yeah. So, we measure the size as the distance between the end of one radio jet and the end of the other. So, the full extent.
0: So, they don't necessarily have more stars on them. They're just kind of more diffuse things.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, their end-to-end size is really enormous. The galaxy at the centre, it can vary in what it looks like, but often it will be hosted by a galaxy that is what we call a red and dead elliptical. So, it's it's an elliptical galaxy which has very little gas in it and therefore it's not forming many stars. So, the stars that are are inside it are kind of turning red because stars turn red as they age. And without new stars forming that are blue, this whole galaxy kind of looks red.
0: Is that why these sort of large galaxies haven't been detected before? I mean, is it because their stars aren't quite so bright and they're more diffuse?
1: No, so the, the what we call the host galaxy, the galaxy that is uh, hosting the black hole and emitting the radio jets, that's actually fairly bright. I mean, we can see it very clearly in the optical images, but what hasn't been detected before is the radio emission. The particular galaxies that we have found with Meerkat They have been found before in the radio wavelength. So uh, actually that was part of the work that I did in my previous postdoctoral research position in Croatia where we studied this same patch of sky with a telescope in New Mexico called the Very Large Array. And the benefit of the Very Large Array is that it has very, very good angular resolution. That means that it can see details very, very clearly in very, very small details. And in that data, you can see these galaxies you can see the radio jets but only the inner parts of them the very very inner parts so In that data, these look like radio galaxies, but not giants, just kind of small ones. We'd, We'd found them before and we'd found their elliptical host galaxies, but they just look small. What we found in the new data is that not only do they have these little inner jets, they've got these huge, enormous outer jets, many, many, many times bigger than the previous ones that are found. And so that's how we now know that these are giant radio galaxies. And it's because of the excellent Meerkat sensitivity to diffuse emission, which I said at the start, the ability to detect large scale, very faint emission or light on the sky. That's why we can now pick up the giant lobes of this galaxy, whereas we couldn't see it in other data from telescopes like the Very Large Array or from the Giant Meter Wave Radio Telescope in India, which has also looked at this particular patch of sky called Cosmos. All
0: right, so you haven't discovered new galaxies, you just discovered a larger radio emission, a more diffuse radio emission than has been discovered before from these galaxies. And they're not necessarily giant galaxies, although they are big, but they're giant in the radio.
1: Well, it depends what you mean by galaxy. What do you mean by a giant galaxy? Classically, that's considered to be the size of the part of the galaxy that contains all the stars. But all of this this radio jets, this plasma, this is also part of the galaxy. Ah, touche. But we haven't really considered that to be the size of galaxies before because we couldn't actually see it.
0: Ah, but you, then, then, I mean, you know, there could be this diffuse emission around all galaxies, but it's just not getting lit up.
1: Well, we've looking with Meerkat now and we're not finding that except ah. for in a few examples such as these.
0: Okay, then that leads me on to my next question What does this mean for galaxy formation and evolution or our understanding of it?
1: Okay, so yeah, that's a good question. There's actually something else special about these galaxies. Not only are they giants that hadn't been identified as giants before, they're also particularly special giants. We had a look at how these compare to other giant radio galaxies in size and what we call luminosity or power. By luminosity or power, we mean kind of how bright the radio waves are, how much emission is coming from them, and they're actually really quite faint. So we've found galaxies that are much larger and a bit fainter than most other giant radio galaxies that have been found. This means that they are quite unique objects and it probably means that there's a lot more of them out there. There might be this extra population of giant radio galaxies out there that we haven't seen before simply because our telescopes couldn't pick up this diffuse light which Meerkat can now see. This would actually match what we have predicted from models of how these radio galaxies evolve over time. As we've said, we think that the these radio jets, they start off small, so contained quite close to the stars, but then they grow outwards over time. If this is really why some galaxies become giants, then this would mean that we should see quite a lot more giant radio galaxies than we are actually seeing. So it looks like, they are there, we just hadn't seen them before because of the limitations of our telescopes. And this is all information we need in order to understand how galaxies evolve or change over time, over cosmic time, since they were formed after the Big Bang till now. We need to understand all of these different physical processes that are going into them to understand the whole picture of galaxy formation and evolution. And
0: you mentioned that, you know, there there could be other giant radio galaxies like this and we should be detecting them. These galaxies you detected, you're part of a, a survey called Marty, and presumably the MARTI survey survey is going to carry on and is is expected to detect uh, many more of these. Can you just explain a little bit about MARTI, what does it stand for firstly and then what is its goal uh, and you know what can we expect coming out from the survey in the in the next few years?
1: Mighty. That's an acronym which I've just had to look up because I can never remember it. It stands for the Meerkat International Gigahertz Tiered Extragalactic Exploration Survey. <laughs> so, Mighty M I G H T E E, and this is a galaxy evolution survey planned with with Meerkat and underway. So, initially, when Meerkat was being planned. There were several large survey projects planned, so international astronomers got together and formed collaborations, decided what most of the time on Meerkat was going to be spent doing, and they sent in proposals. And the plan for Mighty was one of them. This was to create a really large-scale galaxy evolution survey. Now, what does that mean? It means that Meerkat is looking at several large patches of sky. In total, it'll be about 20 square degrees. Now, to give you an idea, the area of the full moon is about half a square degree. Fairly large patches of sky, and their goal here is to pick up the radio radio light from many hundreds of thousands of galaxies. And in doing that, you can study... For example, the, the hydrogen gas, the neutral gas within these galaxies, which is the raw fuel of star formation, which we've spoken about a few times previously on the Cosmic Savannah. And you can also study the, what I mentioned earlier, the synchrotron emission. So that's the, this special light generated by these electrons moving really fast in the magnetic fields sort of weird other things like polarization where the direction of the light, the angle of the light is changing, but we don't need to go into all of those details. There's a lot of different components of this mighty survey, but it started off with early science observations or pilot observations. So This is just to check whether everything's going right. These are the first set of observations to to see if the survey has been well planned. So to do that, Mighty looked at one patch of sky, one square degrees in size. So that's about four full moons can fit into that region. And we looked at a particular patch of sky called Cosmos, as I mentioned earlier. And this patch of sky has been looked at by many other different telescopes in the past, in the radio light, in the x-rays, in the ultraviolet, in the infrared. And so we have a lot of data to compare with. That's important because all of these extra types of data that can let us figure out how far away these galaxies are. And once we've done that, we can have a look at how much light we are detecting from them and we can figure out what the actual strength of the light is. Because if you've, got, of course, if you've got a galaxy that is close to you, but a bit faint, it's going to look the same brightness as a galaxy that is further away from you and quite bright. One of the things that we found straight away when we looked at this early science data in, of the cosmos field was we spotted these two huge extended objects, which turned out to be these giant radio galaxies that I have published a paper on. And they really looked fantastic. Just we'll post a picture on the website of a cutout from this the radio map of the sky that, that Mighty made. And you can see really clearly these big streaks, these fuzzy streaks across the sky. And those are these giant radio galaxies that we've found. Now, this was really exciting because if there are only, let's say about 800 giant radio galaxies known, and a lot of these have been found with the LOFAR telescope, which stands for the low frequency array, which is uh, sort of based in the Netherlands and Europe with that telescope, most of these these giant radio galaxies were found and we looked at how they distributed across the sky and based on that, we really didn't suspect to find even one giant radio galaxy in this this tiny one-square-degree patch of sky that we looked at. The fact that we found two is incredible. The probability of finding two based on what we know about the distribution on the sky of giant radio galaxies is very, very, very small, incredibly small. So either we have been insanely lucky to find these or there are many more giant radio galaxies than we previously knew and so that's how we came up with this very exciting conclusion that there may be many more than we than we knew before and that we're starting to find them now with surveys like mighty that are able to detect this very faint diffuse emission because of how sensitive they are
0: that's super cool and how much of the sky is is mighty going to look at and you know how long is it going to take and how many of these things uh, can we expect?
1: So it's going to look at in total 20 square degrees. So for comparison what I'm talking about was one square degrees this these early observations which four full moons will fit into it. So you times that by 20 that's how big ultimately the field will be. It'll take several hours. so so the observations that we looked at of the cosmos field actually they took only about, Less than 24 hours. So it's actually incredible how sensitive this Meerkat telescope is because the same patch of sky with the very large array, we had to look at for 400 hours with the very large array before we could get to the same level of sensitivity. So it's going to take quite a few more hours to finish the whole surveys. But the thing is, we have to share the telescope. So not all of the observations can be, can be dedicated just to Mighty. We have to share with other surveys.
0: You're not going to get 20 days straight up. No. <laughs> It's probably just as well, otherwise you'd have a lot of work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, Of course, this is definitely not just me doing it. This is an international team of several dozens of astronomers. This is led by Matt Jarvis at the University of Oxford and Russ Taylor at the University of Cape Town. And then there are many other people who work very, very hard on this, including Ian Haywood, who is uh, the second author on my paper, and many others. So, yeah, not just
0: me. a a pre- a precursor to the square kilometer array which we mentioned earlier and that's going to be coming in in the next you know 5 or 10 years recently the the SKA was was ratified you know there's many many partner countries involved and i think the final signatures happened in december so it's it's official now that the SKA is a is an international organization there's a treaty and construction can now start on the SKA. That's obviously going to be even more sensitive than Meerkat. What are you looking forward to from SKA in terms of this kind of research in this field?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the SKA is just so incredibly exciting. Of course, it's going to be built partly in South Africa and partly in Western Australia. Each of those two components of the SKA will detect slightly different frequencies of the radio light. And it's going to be, I think, revolutionary for our understanding of galaxy evolution, our understanding of radio galaxies and radio astronomy, because it will combine the best qualities of all the different telescopes in the world. So the best qualities of the Very Large Array, the VLA, the best qualities of Meerkat and ASCAP in Australia. Meerkat, as I've said, is very good at detecting diffuse emissions. So it's very good at detecting large scale things and it's very, very sensitive. It has good angular resolution, meaning it can see smaller details, but not as good as the VLA. So the VLA has really good angular resolution the SKA will have both, will have everything, right? So it's going to be very, very sensitive, even more sensitive than Meerkat by many times. And it's going to have really amazing angular resolution. So see very, very small details. If you can see details that are very, very small and very, very faint, you can see things that are very far away and everything in between there. And of course, as you're looking further and further away, you're looking back in time because of the amount of time it takes for light to travel to the Earth. So we're going to have this, amazing new crisp view of the universe as seen in the radio light and i can't wait to see what will happen and hopefully not only will meerkat detect many more of these giant radio galaxies so hopefully we're even going to find more in mighty in the other fields that haven't been looked at yet but then with the ska who knows what we'll find maybe we'll find extra giant radio galaxies or i don't know what would we call them uh humongous giant radio galaxies (laughs) something like that
0: We've got a few years to try and come up with a good name.
1: Yeah, I, clearly I'm not very good at naming, so so we'll have to do a <laughs> workshop on that.
0: <laughs> okay, well, uh, Dr. Del Hayes, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on the Cosmic of- Savannah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure to be here, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> it's so weird.
0: And congratulations on your paper. Well done for getting it out. It's quite an achievement. It's super exciting.
1: Thank you. It's been a long haul.
0: Maybe we can just explain to the listeners, I mean, what is it what does it mean to get a paper? It's not like an article in the newspaper, right?
1: No, yeah. And why it takes so long as well. <laughs> uh, so a scientific publication or a paper is the goal of of your work as an academic is to make a discovery or a finding and then publish it. So tell other people. and The whole process can take several years. It can be very quick if you are very, very, very lucky and very efficient, but usually it takes several years. The way that it works for me because I'm an observational astronomer is I wait for the telescope to take the data and I wait for team members to process the data because it doesn't come out of the telescope looking like a nice pretty map. You have to do a lot of complicated things to to turn it into an image of the sky. And then you kind of look at that data and you find something interesting and then you analyze it. So this is usually using a lot of coding, a lot of programming, And doing the analysis, so applying your knowledge of astrophysics. So this is where your knowledge of physics and maths uh, comes in. You read a lot of other people's papers. You can't just read textbooks on the on the topic to understand the research, the field that you're in, because the textbooks aren't updated quickly enough to be cutting edge. Because papers are coming out every single day with newer, newer, newer research, and you have to be really up to date on the very latest stuff in this in this research field that you're working on. So you have to go and read all of these papers and understand what the cutting edge is, and then you you have to you start to write your paper. You write up your discoveries and what you found, you compare it to what other people have published in the literature before, and then you you finish writing this paper. So mine is um, it's about 15 pages, but you can have shorter papers, you can have longer papers. That's about a that's about an average size, I'd say about 15 pages with very very small font and double columns and figures and pictures and, and everything and then you submit it to a journal and a journal is a uh, how would you describe a journal Dan I've never really been sure how to describe them
0: It's a publication you know it's a it's a it's like a, a newspaper except it's a, a formal publication which comes out generally once a month from a, an organization which, collects and and processes these papers so they keep a yeah a record of all of the papers which get published
1: and it used to actually be published in an actual journal an actual kind of like a a magazine sort of thing which was sent out to to all of the institutes but now of course most of it's just online because we've all got access to the internet we can just download all of the papers we can save paper save some trees in the process You can choose which journal, there are several that you want to submit to. Usually you try and submit to a journal that has a what we call a high impact factor so it's got a really good reputation. You submit it to this journal, so I submitted it to the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society and then they do this important process called a peer review. So They send your paper to somebody else who is an expert in the same field but who is not an author on your paper. And they have to read through it and they have to make suggestions and say, okay, yes, this paper looks like it's scientifically rigorous. This is, uh, really well done. All of the analysis is correct. Or they make suggestions for changes. They say, oh, look, you've actually forgotten to factor in this or, you know, they, they might make some small changes. They might suggest some big changes. And then you get it back and you have a chance to change things and then you can submit it back to the journal. And then it might go through that process again or it might be accepted. So. My paper was accepted in, I think it was December of 2020. And then you have to do some things like you have to make sure it's all typeset to the nice format of the journal and you wait for that to happen. And then finally, it gets published. And you often, you also put it on the public archive, which is where everybody can access it because some of these journals are closed access. So you actually have to have a subscription to access them. But we obviously want everybody in the world to be able to access science and what we publish. So that's why we also publish a version of it in the public access area. And that's the the process from start to finish.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) I I should point out that that practice of publishing things on uh, what's called the archive, which is a freely available archive of all of the papers, is kind of unique to astronomy. Oh, is it? Yeah. Most other sciences, And especially sort of medical research and things are behind a paywall. So uh, you can't access these journals without paying. And, you know, that slows the whole process down quite a lot, actually. Mm. Whereas, you know, in astronomy, often people post on the archive things which have been submitted but actually haven't been peer-reviewed yet. So Mm. just to give people an indication of what's going on and what's coming, Mm. um, particularly if if you're experienced and confident in your work, yeah uh, you're confident it's going to get published without many changes? You stick it on the archive and people can read it that day, which is you know the the archive you you publish it one day and it's out there the next. so it's it's a really good way for astronomy to move forward quickly and for these discoveries to be shared. yeah
1: yeah, we don't have to wait for months and months for no. the journals to publish it and then
0: yeah you, you don't you don't actually have to wait for the, for these articles to be mm. formally published you can you can read mm. them almost instantly. And then the last step of the the publishing process, which you didn't mention, is once it's out there, then you start again.
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) I'm avoiding that part, so.
0: (laughs) Take a deep breath and do it all again.
1: Yeah, that's right. I I mean, so I guess I could mention, if you want, the next step.
0: Yeah, what's coming next? You must have one in the pipeline.
1: My bosses are listening to this, so yes, I've been working very hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I guess... I usually have several projects kind of going on at the same time that you're, um, that you're working on. But I've got several ideas of where to go from here with regards to these giant radio galaxies. So I've put in a proposal to observe them again with Meerkat. But at a different frequency, at a lower frequency. And this is going to give us information about the actual age of the electrons in different parts of the, of the jets. So what we think is that we're going to find that they're very young towards the center and very old towards the outside. But we are actually trying to find out whether these galaxies are restarted, meaning that the black hole kind of switched off for a while, stopped forming jets. The, the old jets kind of kept expanding outwards. And then suddenly it switched on again so that you've got these, like, new little inner jets, and this would indicate restarted activity, which means that the supply of gas or whatever is falling into the black hole stopped for a while and then started again. This is going to give us a lot more clues about what's going on. So I'm waiting to hear whether or not my observing proposal was successful. So I submitted this application to Meerkat. Then there's a, it's called a time allocation committee who are going to assess it. Uh, lots of people are applying for time, so it's very competitive. So I may not get this time, this this round, but there'll be another opportunity later to try again. So this is one idea. But another thing I can do is go and look through the rest of the mighty data. So, some of it has been taken in other areas of the sky. As I mentioned, it will be 20 square degrees in full. And so, some of that data already exists. So, I can go and check that out. Go galaxy hunting and see if I can spot some more giant radio galaxies. Awesome. And they should be there, right? Like, if we're right that there are two of these in each square degree of the sky, we should be able to find – I mean, there should be 40 in the entire mighty region. So… Fingers crossed. We find some.
0: I bet you they aren't, and I, then that, you're going to have to rethink the whole thing again.
1: No, Dad, don't say that. But actually, that could <laughs> even be more interesting to be like, what on earth is Precisely. going on in this particular part of the sky?
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the fun. You never really know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that's a risk, right? So you you might start a project and it could go nowhere because you don't know what the answer is. That's the point of science is that you're doing something that no one else has done before, but it could also be a really cool discovery. So yeah.
0: Great. So I think that's it for today.
1: Yeah. So thank you for having me as a guest.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a weird experience. I, I, You could hear how nervous I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, like, you know, we've been wanting to talk about your research for a while and you've kind of been holding it close to your chest because th- there is something about that, this research and endeavor. You you don't want to get scooped either. Like you, you don't want yeah. som- somebody else to see your idea before you've published it and then publish it themselves because that does happen too. Uh, so you do kind of hold these things a little bit close to your chest.
1: It does happen.
0: Mostly it's a kind of nice environment, but it's it's rare.
1: Mostly people are really nice and cool about that, but it can yeah. happen. But yeah, and yeah. Uh, anyway, I wanted to time this with the release of the official publication of the article, of the paper, and also the, the press release. So I wrote a little press release and I've sent it out to various places. <laughs> and so if anyone wants to contact me to talk about it, you can.
0: Well, yeah, let's, let's hope it gets picked up and, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool discovery and well done. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah.
1: You can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have the transcript, links to other stuff related to today's episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah. That's Savannah, spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H.
0: Special thanks today to Dr. Jacinta DeLay for speaking with us. <laughs>
1: thanks to our social media manager Sue Marie Hatting and all the Cosmic Savannah volunteers also to Mark Olnut for music production Janis Sprink and Michal Werchek for photography and Lana Sarai for graphic design
0: we gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation the South African Astronomical Observatory and the University of Cape Town astronomy department to help keep the podcast running
1: You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please do rate and review us and recommend us to a friend. We'd really appreciate it.
0: And we'll speak to you next time on The Cosmic Savannah.
1: This is really good practice for me. It's hilarious how like, ah, I'm nervous and I'm stumbling
0: and it'll be good
1: for like radio interviews to practice this. First. <laughs>